Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Play ball! It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Welcome back, everyone. My latest binge obsession, like many of you, I'm sure, is Cobra Kai on Netflix. And why not? I was 14 years old when the Karate Kid hit theaters. It's one of the handful of movies that makes me stop flipping channels when I see it pop up on AMC, HBO, Sundance, wherever it's playing several times, it seems, every single month. Cobra Kai is a fabulous modern-day sequel. Uh, The third season was released on Netflix earlier this month. If you don't know, it catches up with Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence 30-plus years after the original movie, and a strange turn of events that has them involved in each other's lives again. They have teenage kids. There's lots of karate, and, well, you get the idea. It's definitely a lot of fun to watch, and you know who enjoys it, too? Robert Kamen. He was the screenwriter of the original Karate Kid, which came out in 1984. Kamen is originally from the Bronx, 73 years old now, living in California's wine country, where he still writes, runs a successful vineyard, and practices martial arts. Some of the other films he's done since the original Karate Kid trilogy in the 80s include Taken, The Fifth Element, The Transporter, Lethal Weapon 3. I do want to warn you right now, though, that if you haven't seen Season 3 of Cobra Kai yet, there are a few spoilers in here, so let's get that out of the way. For some thoughts on Cobra Kai, The Karate Kid, and Karate Kid the Musical? Yes, really. Here is my conversation with Robert Kamen. Robert, first thing I want to ask you is, what do you think of Cobra Kai? Do you enjoy it? Do you like it? Oh, do you yeah. like what it is? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's great. I think these guys, they, uh, they're brilliant. They hit on a great formula. What did they do so well? They ripped me off <laughs> in the most brilliant way. I mean, it was what they came, they came up with an, an extraordinary concept. They're, they're three kind of nerdy guys who loved... They love movies. They love certain movies. And The Karate Kid is like um, a signpost of their teenage years. And uh, they they came up with it, just a brilliant concept. Like, what if Daniel and Johnny were 30 years later and roles were reversed? And then they just went went for it. Did the characters age well? I know the actors age well because they look great. Do you think the characters age well? Yeah, they... they they age great. The thing about the Karate Kid that's so interesting is that it, there's an, kind of an eternalness to it, and they just blew life into the characters the way they set them up. I was, I am super impressed. I, we love it. We think it's great. Karate soap opera. You kind of talked about how they uh, they they ripped you off. It's funny listening to them 
take exact lines of dialogue and little ones too, not even just the most popular ones, but they take little ones. And if you know people like me who have seen the movie a couple of hundred times, you're going to recognize little things right away that just make everybody laugh. They know the films way better than I do. The intricacies of the films. I mean, they, I don't remember half the stuff. I mean, I don't remember half the stuff of stuff I just wrote today. Um, and, and, and they, they remember all this intricate stuff in the three films, which are their Bible. And it's just uh, amazing. They keep me in the loop, which is fantastic. Uh, they call me up from time to time and check on certain things. And, um, but they keep me in the loop whenever they're doing anything, they call me up and tell me what they're doing. And it's great. They're great. They're great. I'm writing, uh, uh, we're putting on the Karate Kid as a Broadway musical now. And I, so I wrote the book and um, so I'm immersed in this stuff. And when they call up, I have to ask them certain things like in Karate Kid 3, do you remember what? And they're, they're like, they're very kind. They say, why don't you just go watch the film? I, said, I, I don't think I can't sit through the film. I don't think I can sit through these films anymore. Uh, so how often do you have you watched them over the years? I mean, fans watch them all the time. Do you ever sit back and watch them? No, never. Uh, I'll watch uh, snatches of Karate Kid One because that was the that was the heart of the whole thing for me. That that was it, and I'll watch that. I won't watch the whole thing, but there are things that I forget are in the movie, and I'll see them and I'll say, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." It, it's sort of um, when I create things, um, they leave me. I do them, and then they leave me. And because I'm just a writer, I don't direct, I don't produce, I don't do any of that. Um, I don't hang on to anything. I'm always writing something else. And that's the thing that I'm involved with. So I don't think of the other stuff. And I'm always amazed when I see things. Sometimes late at night, I'd be laying in bed just halfway to sleep. And something will come on like Columbiana or Banditas or The Professional. And I'm, I'm watching it and I'm... I, I'm disassociated. It's like, did I write that? Did I stick that dialogue in someone's mouth? Did I, I don't remember it. It's funny, the creative process that you're talking about, it doesn't seem that unusual. I remember a few years ago, I watched another movie that I've seen a billion times is Bull Durham. And I watched the DVD with the commentary that Tim Robbins and Kevin Costner did on it. And Tim Robbins said he gets he gets baseball players come up to him all the time and and quote lines to him because they have seen the movie a lot. And Tim has no idea what they're talking about because he did the movie and never thought of it again. I imagine it's right. kind of the same thing for you. It's more or less the same thing. I mean, I don't know when I watched The Karate Kid, I don't know where I came up with that stuff. What's the most entertaining part to you about watching Cobra Kai? just how smart they are with the characters. I mean, they, they, they don't pander to any of the characters. They're really writing. This is a bunch of guys in their mid forties writing about teenagers, <laughs> you know, yeah. and what they do is they give them this sort of universal, um, emotional grounding, which is pretty interesting. I mean, you know, it's a bunch of teenagers with their hormonal issues and their parental issues. But then you come to Ralph and Billy um, and, you know, they have kind of grown up issues, which are strangely enough, um, sort of teenage retardation, 
like they never got out of that rut. Um, and I think it's fun to watch. It's super fun to watch, especially since I never lost touch with anybody. I was always in touch with uh, Marty and always in touch with Ralph and always in touch with Billy and, you know, but especially Ralph. I've stayed friendly with Ralph over the years and I would see Billy from time to time. And, um, and it's just the continuity or with Lisa, who is in season three, Lisa Shu, mm -hmm. or Tamlin, who, who, uh, who I knew well and, or Yuji, all these people uh, that I, it's just like I saw them yesterday. And I was such a big part of their lives because uh, it was Lisa's first film. It was Ralph's second film. It was Billy's, I think his first film. It was Yuji's first film. Um, it was Tamlin's first film. And I, I was very much, because I was there all the time, always around the set and stuff, I was very much part of their history. It was their history. And because I was part of their history, they were part of my history. And so when I see them, there's, even though I haven't seen them in years, there's this familiarity that's baked into the relationships from 30 years ago. That's lovely. And we share the, this iconic set of films. We share the Karate Kid, you know, and we all live there. Ha had you guys ever spoken, since you've been in touch, had you guys ever spoken about doing something, not this necessarily, but as they got older, where the characters were no. as they got older? No, no, no. It took it's yeah. I mean, fan fiction is is kind of a dirty word around uh, around creative people, but that's uh, that's basically what this has become. But they've done it pretty well. Yeah, they've done it really well. <laughs> they, I, I'd have to say that all these people have dined off of this for many years. She, not Lisa. She went on to do some great things. I mean, leaving Las Vegas and mm -hmm. stuff, all the stuff she did, and and and. But uh, these people, the, the funny, the Cobra Kai kids never really went on to do anything, but they were always the Cobra Kai. Now I see them and they're all like 30 years later, they're bald or they're fat or they're, and, but they're still the Cobra Kai, you know, and that is their claim to fame. And it's, it's, it's fantastic. Even though they had nothing to do in the movie, they, you know, they had a couple of lines and they were just, you know, the, they were just the, the background. I have friends who've watched this with their teenagers and it's funny because they've, They've created a show that is geared to an older audience, you know, 40s, 50s, like me. Uh, but they've also created a show that is relatable to teenagers. And there are probably yeah. a lot of teens that watch this that have no idea what any of these little inside jokes are all about. Yeah, yeah, no, it, they don't. And, and Or then they go back and they watch the movies. And so many kids, you have no idea generationally how the Karate Kid has played I mean, I, I see it from the residual checks, but <laughs> I do, yeah. but, but it's amazing the way, and everybody knows it. There's nobody that does not know the karate kid. Nobody. One of the cool things, and you touched on it, that they kind of uh, explore is this theme that I've heard kicked around a, a few times over the years. Who's really the bad guy? And you know, there are certain, yeah, you don't like that. Johnny's the bad guy. Of course he is. <laughs> Why do, but why but do people think that sometimes Daniel acts like the bad guy? Why do people think that uh, Donald Trump won the election? Good point. People, you know, they always have to look for something. With the internet, with social media, people have to come up with stuff 
to make themselves relevant on social media. So you take something like the Karate Kid, which everybody knows about, and you give it a bit of a spin, and you take the salient points, and all of a sudden, Daniel is the bad guy because basically, you know, he comes between Johnny and his girlfriend. Um, he's the one who squirts water on Johnny. He's the one who shows up at the country club. He, you know, it's it, he's the one that gets Mr. Miyagi to beat these kids up. It's it's all of that stuff. But the truth is, if you want to hear it from the person who created it, please, Johnny is he's the bad guy, but he's not a bad guy. He's a kid who came under the influence of a bad guy. Crease is a bad guy. They came up with a really interesting backstory for Johnny that they told over the course of season one. That doesn't really, you know, it, it does not touched on at all. They kind of created that on their own, that he's he wasn't a rich kid. He kind of, you know, there is more to his upbringing than that. What did you think of the way they tackled that? I thought, I thought it was fine. They, I mean, now they're telling Crease's backstory, yeah. and which I love. I, I, I just, um, they did something in season three. I don't know if you've seen it, but they did something where... Daniel is losing the car dealership and then all of a sudden the girl that he saves from the bell tower is now the head of, you know, Sakatumi Motors or whatever it's called. And that bell tower scene was stuck in because we needed Daniel to do something filler, to do something heroic. (laughs) Who knows who that girl was? We just stuck some kid up in a tree and was, and all of a sudden they take it and they use it and it's so cheesy, but it works. It's a wonderful payoff. It really is. It's I think one great. of the things they do really well, besides you know, finding all these actors who still all look very, they look great after 30 plus years. I, I find one of the things interesting, they always keep coming back to Mr. Miyagi and how central a character he is. And, you know, Pat Morita is not with us anymore, but they haven't lost that part of it. You know, they, they didn't just make a reference to it. They're constantly making references to his character's yeah. influence. No, Mr. Miyagi is a big deal. The, the lucky thing is there's footage of Mr. Miyagi yeah. <laughs> in three films. Okay, so it's a lot of footage and a lot of dailies. Otherwise, there wouldn't be... Uh, there wouldn't be anything. I mean, I wish Pat were here. It would be hysterical to see Pat in woven into the series. But in a way, it's very iconic that he's not here because it makes him sort of the spiritual um, underpinning of Daniel's whole journey. Like, you know, visiting the grave and looking at the picture and what would he do? And You had your own Mr. Miyagi, didn't you? Uh, I did. I had my own crease. I had my own Mr. Miyagi. How often did those, uh, did, did their influences hit you in, uh, in life nowadays? Nowadays, not at all. I've been training in Okinawan Goju for, since I'm 17. And uh, my teacher was not like Mr. Miyagi. Hmm. You know, he wasn't. He did, first of all, he didn't speak English. Second of all, he was in the very pure traditional form of Okinawan Goju training, which is really hard and really tough and not very sentimental. So there was none of that going on. There was, um, but, but the core of it is in Okinawa, they don't, they don't say how good you are. They say how hard you train, which is, if you think of that concept, it's, it's much different than, wow, he's great. They don't say he's great. They say he trains hard, which means he's striving for something, which means you're locked into this thing. 
And that's, that's a big difference between a lot of these other, uh, certainly in um, American sports or the way Americans look at achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, in um, Karate in Okinawa, the achievement is training hard, is trying hard, is trying to get to the essence of what that is. It's in other words, it's not just, you know, I got a black belt. They don't care. They don't care what, what rank you are. They don't care. What they care is that you train hard and that you train correctly, train properly, they say. You have the proper attitude, the proper technique. They, you know, you don't do this nonsense they do here. Karate here is kind of a all over the place silly thing. The tr- tradition is very important to Okinawan people. The movie you create is directed by John Avildsen, who directed Rocky. So there's this connection that you've got, you know, two great sports films. Do you see Karate Kid as a sports movie? Are there other sports movies that you've no, liked over the no. Yeah, you don't, right? No, no, I, it's not a sports movie. I don't think Karate is a sport. It's a martial art. It's with the emphasis on martial art. The emphasis on art. It's an art. It's It's no different than studying ballet except you punch people do you the (laughs) ending has a feel of a sports movie are there sports movies that you enjoy are there ones that you've liked over the years oh oh no i like a lot of them i like you know on any any given sunday i love bull durham i mean bull durham is not about baseball right karate kid is not about karate you, uh, you mentioned earlier, and I uh, saw reference to this in, I think, a Sports Illustrated piece a couple of years ago, Karate Kid the Musical. How, how close are you to, uh, to putting this together? When, uh, oh, I, it's I understand all put we're together, except, except it had to stop. We were, we're all ready to move forward with it. Uh, wh- once the COVID thing has gone, we're ready to cast... We're ready to, we're still working. Drew is here working on songs. Derek McLean, who is nominated not just for one Tony this year, but for two. Hmm. If you can imagine, out of five nominations, he has two for two plays. He's doing sketches for the sets. Um, that, there's all sorts of stuff going on. And, and as soon as it starts happening, we'll have uh, an out-of-town theater for tryouts, and then we'll go to Broadway. I was thinking about the experience of seeing the musical in the theater. Do you remember seeing the movie in the theater for the first time? Did you ever, did you, do you remember when it oh, came well, out? Well, John and I used to watch dailies all the time. Yeah. And I remember the first time we went and saw the movie, we were on third Avenue and 60th street. We went to cinema one mm-hmm. and we snuck in. We didn't watch the whole movie. We watched part of it, but at the end of the movie, we, the, the audience jumped up. They jumped up and at the end of it, we come out and there are two guys with suits and attache cases doing the crane stance. <laughs> and we just looked at each other. John and I looked at each other and said, oh, dude, this is huge. <laughs> we're going to be a big hit. And we had no idea how big it would be. I wish John were here because we would get such a kick out of it. It would be so great. It would be so much fun. Do you have any great unmade projects that you, uh, something that you've kind of wanted to for a long time, but for whatever reason, get yeah. to keep pushing uh, yeah. it? Yeah, is it funny you should mention? I've been doing this for 40 years, dude. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's not like everything is, I have a high percentage of things that get made. I've done very yeah. well. I have no complaints. I have one screenplay called Oasis, 
that I've had for 15 years that I'm, I keep dying to get made and it never, never happens. It comes close, it comes really close and then it goes away. Comes really close and then it goes away. So. What's, uh, what's that project about? It's about a girl with cerebral palsy. It takes place in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. It's about a girl with cerebral palsy and a boy who's one slice short of a loaf who gets out of prison having been put away for a vehicular homicide. And it's this love story between these two outcasts that is so beautiful and so wonderful. And I can't get it made. I try, I try. And the, my producer is great, but he can't get it made. And it only would take three and a half million bucks. Um, but we can't get it made. I, I've heard the process gets, um, every time you think you're close, you're never really close at all. Oh, it's the worst thing in the world. Away, huh? Yeah. Which is why um, I only write. I don't do anything else. I don't try to do anything else. I just write. And this way, it's less frustrating. And I have my life here. We, have, we live on a beautiful piece of property. We have amazing views. Mm-hmm. Our house is built of glass and concrete and steel, and it's open and, you know, indoors, outdoors. And I have a wine life. I have a very successful wine brand, and... And I have that life and I have my writing life and I have my poodles and I do martial arts every day and I ride my bike every day and I smoke dope every day and I drink wine every day. And, and you know, I never aspired to anything else. Well, I never aspired to anything. <laughs> I no, just, what, what did you, did you aspire to do anything early in your life? No, no, no nothing, nothing. I aspired to wake up in the morning and to be entertained and keep myself amused until the evening. That was my aspiration. Nothing else. How did you get into writing? You mean writing screenplays? Just writing in general. You must have started writing something before you wrote screenplays. Yeah, I wrote academic stuff. I um, I went to University of Pennsylvania for a PhD, and I wrote academic stuff. Um, I wrote poetry when I was younger, like all overly sensitive 16-year-olds. Um, and then I wrote a novel, and the novel got turned. I turned it into a screenplay, and it got bought, and I became a screenwriter. We have something in common. My father has a PhD in economics from the University of Pennsylvania. Oh, seriously? Well, that's a serious PhD. Yeah. <laughs> I had a PhD in American studies, which, you know, I don't know. Your father probably teaches. He, he did for a very long time, yeah. Why do you think that, I mean, it's not just Karate Kid, but it's one of the handful of movies from the 80s that seem to have latched on and, and gotten life into this era why do you think the movies of certain movies from the 80s have aged so well 30 years later? Because my recollection, maybe it's just me looking at it from my own lens of my age, but my recollection is that movies from the 50s didn't necessarily age very well into the 80s, or even movies from the 70s didn't necessarily age quite as well into the 2000s. There's something about maybe the themes or uh, however they were made that made them move into this era a little more easily? I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> None. I, I, everybody says, what's your favorite film? I mean, I have some that are my favorites, but uh, we, watch a, we watch movies every night. And before the pandemic, we went to the movies three times a week. Mm-hmm. We loved going to movies. And we had a wonderful art theater in town here in Sonoma. It's a little, little town. And we have a multiplex right outside of town. So we would 
go to the movies and go to the taco trucks and eat and drink wine in the movies. And, and, and now we have a big, one of these big 8k televisions that are beautiful. And so at night we watch, we stream movies and sit on the couch and fall asleep, but it's, but it's great, you know? And then if we want, if we miss something in the movie, we can watch it again. It's a wonderful life. I'm telling you, that's fantastic. Uh, I'm telling you, I don't know how this happened. I, we say it all the time. I, I just, I lucked into a lot of things and they just all came together and, and worked. Um, living on a vineyard in the middle of nowhere is not for everybody, but it suits me because I have my writing and everything I do is sort of um, done alone. My martial arts, I haven't been in a dojo in 20 years. Mm. Um, I ride my bike up in the hills alone. Sometimes I ride with a friend. I do my martial arts every morning alone. I sit at my desk and write alone. You know, the only things I don't do alone is take walks with the dogs because there are two of them and there's one Yvonne and um, have, have lunch and dinner with her. Otherwise, most of the stuff I do is kind of alone. Like when I get off with you, I'm going to go on my bike for an hour. And um, tomorrow morning I'll wake up and right over there, I'll go and I'll do an hour worth of form. And then I'll come in here and I'll sit there for four hours, five hours. So it's, I don't know, you know what? You can think about this stuff too much. <laughs> or you can just say, you can just say, you know, it is what it is. It's, it, this is the life that I've created. Um, I was lucky enough to not have to do anything I didn't want to do. I like how you described earlier, you talked about watching something from the past and saying, did I really put those words in that person's mouth? Is it hard to think of the creative process sometimes and wonder how you got from A to B 20 years ago, 10 years ago, or even a year ago? I can't, I, I've tried, you know, it's funny you say that. I tried, I've tried to think of how did I come on with wax on wax off? Well, I know how, because there's a, a block in, in Okinawa and Goju it's a circular block that goes like this. And I said, well, how do I do that? Or how do I do this block, a rising block? Or, you know, how do I do a down block? And then I just came up with stuff. But I don't know. I don't know where stuff comes from. I don't know. I don't know where that speech that Liam Neeson gives and taken came from. It just came. Yeah. It showed up, you know. I don't remember. I don't remember these things. I've tried to think, and I've talked to other friends of mine about the creative process and about how, where the stuff comes from. And the truth is, it does not come from organized thought. It comes from um, kind of plugging in to something and then something comes of it. it there's, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's funny, I've always thought about this with songwriters who've had you know, decades worth of success. And I always wanted to ask guys like, you know, McCartney, Springsteen, people like that. I always say, do you think you could write at age 60 what you wrote at age 20? I'm guessing the answer is probably no, because the experiences are different. Look at Bob Dylan. Paul McCartney is still writing stuff that sounds a little bit like what he wrote in the 70s. Doesn't sound like anything he wrote with John Lennon, but nothing does. But Dylan, I mean, Dylan doesn't sound, I listen to Dylan all the time. I mean, the the idea of listening to the guy who wrote Blowing in the Wind or The Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll, Hattie Carroll or uh, like a Rolling Stone or Mr. Tambourine Man 
and then he writes um, uh, Titanic. You know, he goes on for 22 minutes of just on and on and on and on, and it all rhymes, and it's a story. Like, where does this come from? You know, where does the genius of uh, Blood on the Tracks come from? Yeah. has no yeah. relation to what he did at 19 and 20 years old, but it's still genius. I mean, li- we went to see Springsteen on Broadway, and he mm-hmm. covers his whole life. Yeah. And yeah. it's it, really interesting to to watch people who have that sort of... But those guys are giants. They're creative giants, you know. Me, I'm just writing movies and hoping they get made. So your wife is not a creative. I am not a creative giant. Well, it's uh, you. You have a creation that is a giant, uh, and it's evidenced by what everybody's watching on Netflix now. Um, Amazing. What you're watching this as a fan, mostly like the rest of us. Where do you have a hope for? Where where these characters end up when this series ends? Uh, no, I don't have a clue. These these guys come up with shit that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're the only the only input I had that I saw made a difference. I I said to them, go to Okinawa, and they went to Okinawa. I'm like, <laughs> I have that power. <laughs> Name the girl Tori with a Y instead of Allie with an I. The book named after my daughters, right? My eldest and my youngest. Mm-hmm. So there's Allie with an I, and I had, and of course. My my oldest reveres that it's she just feels so special, and my youngest could have killed me for doing it. <laughs> she didn't. She doesn't watch the series. It's not her thing, but her friends do, and they said, "Tori, your dad named the girl Tori with a Y," and she just she called me up. She said, "What is wrong with you?" And I said, "I thought it would be funny." She said, "It's funny to you. It's not funny to me. That is not funny." <laughs> I, it sounds like you personally, there are certain times uh, that people want to distance themselves from this one giant creation that takes off because they have other creative endeavors. You didn't seem to be one of those people. No, I like all of it. I mean, there are, honestly, there are some movies I've completely forgot that I wrote. Really? You know, um, yeah. I, I, I mean, I always forget when people ask me what I wrote, the last... Um, the I had a movie out in 2015 called the, uh, the Warriors Gate. I think they call it Enter the Warriors Gate. I couldn't tell you what that's about. <laughs> <coughs> I couldn't. Um, they've all been really nice experiences. Some of them more, some less. But uh, I've never been tortured. Only one I was disappointed with, and that was it. Uh, as we, as I just finished talking to you about the creative process, do you have uh, you have advice you give to people when they say, "Hey, I want to be a writer." What's your advice to them? Sit down and write. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the hardest part is sitting. Yeah, that's the hardest part. Um, it's hard. It's a hard job. It's a hard job because uh, we saw my daughter is a my youngest is a screenwriter, and she was saying. Dad, it's so hard to come up with an idea. And I said, mm, yeah. She said, well, you come up with ideas. I was like, no, Torian, I came up with an idea last year for a TV show that I thought was going to sell like hotcakes and was great. And I worked on it for months and months, and then nobody bought it. And now I'm just working. I'm working on a screenplay now for six months. And I'm going to put it out in about three weeks. And yeah, well, I hope somebody buys it. But I don't know if they're going to buy it. <laughs> The, is, do you find the initial idea is harder or, you know, fleshing it out is harder? 
Yeah, the, the coming up with the idea is hard. Yeah. You know, and if you've written enough, you know how to do it. You know, it's, you know how to do it. So it's not, it's a craft. So it's not that hard. But coming up with an original idea, I'm so glad the Karate Kid is being done as a musical because I wouldn't have the, the, the I, I wouldn't understand where to start with anything like that. But to do it as a musical is really easy. Now I'm trying to do a musical on the life of Johnny Clegg, the South African musician. Hmm. And, and so I'm starting from scratch, except he, I had his songs, but nothing else. It's really hard. But I'm forging ahead. And you, uh, I assume you're coming back to Broadway for the opening night, whenever that is? Oh, yeah. I got Ralph and Billy and Lisa to agree to sit in the yellow car and drive up to the theater for the premiere. That's It's going to be great. That's great. Only, the only way you can do it. It's fantastic. Well, Ralph has the car. They should blast Young Heart Speed Fast as they're driving in. Or Yeah. Right? <laughs> Well, it's going to be cool because I know they'll do it because they're into it. And it'll be so cool. I can just see it. them pulling up to the theater in the yellow car and we'll be standing there and we'll applaud them and they'll get out and fans will be nuts. And it'll be a Broadway opening. It'll be really cool. That's something to look forward to when we get back to normal again, isn't it? Yeah. And my daughter said, you think it's cool because you arranged it. And I'm saying, yeah, I arranged it because I think it'll be really cool. I have that power. My thanks again to Robert Kamen. There are some movies and moments that have just been part of my life forever, and it's not often I get a chance to thank the people who made them. I was fortunate enough to speak with Hoosiers screenwriter Angelo Pizzo last year for this podcast, as well as Timothy Busfield, who had a supporting role in Field of Dreams. And now I cross Mr. Kamen, the writer of The Karate Kid, off my list here. So I thank him for his time. If you're new here, please check out the 30 with Murdy archive at radio.com or Apple Podcasts. Check out some of those conversations I mentioned above. Also, plenty of sports and baseball episodes available there, too, like my recent chat with Bill Pulsifer, the one-time Mets phenom who was part of Generation K 25 years ago this spring. Make sure to subscribe and review and all that jazz. And until next time, I'm Sweeney Murdy. Thanks for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.